Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather together to worship you, to corporately come together and sing your praises, to uh, exalt your name. And I pray as we look into your word, you would be exalted in that also, that you would enable me to share exactly what you intended and that we would respond, that we would be changed by your spirit being made ever more and more like your son, Jesus. Prepare our hearts uh, to receive your word so that you'd be glorified in our response. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. Is there anything in life that, that we should be getting better at? Is there anything in our lives that we should be getting better and better at? Well, we certainly all could grow in our work, at our jobs. We could all do better performing in that. Certainly all of us could do better in our marriages, in our relationships. Certainly we can all do better in our parenting, no doubt about that. Certainly we can grow in many areas of our lives, many areas. But yet about, what about our uh, relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, the same applies. Stagnation is not a good thing. If we are not growing in our relationship with Christ, that is not a good thing. We should be growing day by day in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're just going to see that today, that we are to be those who excel even more in our walk with Christ. Would you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're beginning our look in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4. And we're going to see how we can live a life that excels still more in Christ. Now to remind you of the context, um, in Acts chapter 16, we see the Apostle Paul and his companions were led by the Spirit of God across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia to share the gospel. And it's at this point we have the birth of the Philippian church. And then after they were beaten and mistreated shamefully in uh, Philippi, they journeyed some 50 miles west to Thessalonica. And in chapter 17 of the book of Acts, we have the record of the uh, salvation of these Thessalonians. But we also see that the Jews of the city became enraged about Paul's teaching of Jesus, and they created a riot, and Paul was driven out of town, basically. He then left, traveling southward to Berea to preach the word. And again, the Jews uh, there from Thessalonica followed him and created an uproar. Paul then left the city and went to Athens. And he remained a short time there and then returned to Corinth. Now, as we've seen in chapter 3, the apostle Paul was very concerned about the Thessalonians. So he sent Timothy while in Athens back to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. And then he went on to Corinth. And in Corinth, he received the news concerning where they were at in regards to their faith in Jesus. And this letter is his response to that news. And they are only less than a year old in the faith. Yet we're going to see they were taught major truth in that first year, even in the first three weeks of their salvation. And Paul expected them to understand truth in the Christian life. Now, specifically in chapter 1, we saw that Paul shared his thankfulness for their true, re- true repentance and faith in Jesus, their, their true conversion, how they had turned to God from idols to serve a living God and to wait for his Son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then in chapter 2, we see Paul felt inspired by the Spirit the need to defend himself in the manner in which he came to these Thessalonians. Indeed, Satan does use wicked men and deceived brethren to tempt people to not see those who share their word with them rightly. And the Apostle Paul needed to defend himself, and he shared that they had imparted the word from the right motives. They also imparted their lives in a loving manner as they shared the word of God. And in that context, he reminded them of the right behavior unto the right goal, which would be walking in a worthy manner. And then in verse 13 of chapter 3, we saw that we grow in our relationship with Christ through the word that performs its work in us. And Paul was so thankful that these Thessalonians had responded to the word. 
Then the latter part of chapter 2, we see how we can know the word is working in one's life as it brought about temporal suffering. Yes, when you come to Christ, there is suffering at times. And yet there are eternally rewarding relationships. Some are broken, but the eternal ones begin and are blessed. And you might remember in chapter 3, we saw that Paul could no longer endure not knowing where these Thessalonians were at in regards to their faith in Jesus. So he sent Timothy to strengthen them and encourage them as to their faith so that no one would be disturbed by the afflictions they were going through because they were destined for those, and we know that we are. And it's from a good report, the Apostle Paul gets back, that they had faith in Jesus. They were standing firm and they had a love for one another and they also desired to see the Apostle Paul. They had affection for him. The, those who were trying to pull away their hearts had not succeeded. Satan had not succeeded. So the Apostle Paul was so thankful and it brought him to be greatly encouraged and he couldn't thank God enough for the joy that was brought in hearing the report of what Christ was doing in them. And then he begins to share that he's been praying for them day and night, that he would see them and that he'd be able to complete what is lacking in their faith. And he shares how that's done. Only the Lord can do it. Only the Lord can cause them to increase and abound for love in love for one another and be established unblameable when Christ comes. And so that brings us to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we're going to see the Apostle Paul begins to now share specific commands for our walk in Christ. Let's take a look. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, but I'm going to continue on to verse 8 because it is connected to that, but we will only go to 3, the first half of 3 today. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commands we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We're going to see as the Apostle Paul begins to share how we are to excel still more, he's going to share in a couple areas. First, in purity, as we'll see partially today and then next week. And then in love for one another. So with that in mind, we see, and I believe we're going to see today, how we can live a life that excels still more in Christ. And with that in mind, notice, first of all, we need to be determined to keep growing. We need to make a choice to keep growing in our relationship with Christ. And we need to understand how that is manifest. Back to verse 1 again. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Now the Apostle Paul begins with the word finally. Finally. Yet is this the last thing that he's going to say here? Not really. We have two more full chapters. Actually, this, this term finally literally means as for the rest of what I'm going to say. As for the rest. As for the rest. But it does signify a transition. A transition to the more practical commands and teaching concerning our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, for us to understand this passage, we need to understand the grammatical structure to which it is brought forth. Notice, first of all, we have a request and an exhortation. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are they requesting? Grammatically, it goes down to the phrase, that you may excel still more. But yet, within that, the middle of the verse gives us the meat on those commands, which says that they're to excel still more in how they ought to walk and please God. 
in the context of the instruction they had already received from Paul and should receive. So then this passage is about excelling still more. That's what it's about. And it is in the context of our walk and pleasing God. We should not be stagnating in our walk with Christ. Yes, we're not there yet. We're pressing on. We're not there yet, but we should not be stagnating. We should not be the same that we were 10 years ago in Christ. We should be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And folks, it does discourage me at times when I see people, and I do, and I'm not trying to point anybody out, but I see people who've never changed. They've never grown in Christ. We are not to stay where we are at. We are to continue to grow. We are, as we will see, to excel still more. Now, this term excel comes from the Greek word, which means over and above. To overflow or to surpass. It's not just simply doing better. It's overflowing. It's overflowing. And it, all, it is also... In this context, modified by the term here, excel still more or more, which means to a greater degree. To a greater degree. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, we request and exhort of you that you would excel or abound still more in and overflow in how you ought to walk and please God. That's what he's talking about. As we will see, our walk is what we do every day. And the heart motive is to please him from that. The term more speaks to a greater degree. It sells still more, even to a greater degree. To a greater degree. And so we are looking at this passage. One observation we can make already is that they are already excelling, these Thessalonians. He's not saying you are stagnating, you need to get out of that rut. He's not saying that. He's saying I want you to excel still more in that. Now, although the Thessalonians were not stagnating, maybe some of us who are listening have been stagnating. Maybe you have not been excelling at all still more in your walk with Christ. You need to come to grips with that first. You need to recognize, hey, something's wrong here. And what's wrong is something is, is in the way. When you think of a baby or a child that is not growing, something is wrong. When you think of a plant that is not growing, there's something wrong with that. You've got to come to the understanding what is in the way. Well, what we know from Scripture is if we're not growing, sin is in the way. It could be that you've never truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's why from the outside it perceives that you have stagnated in your said faith. The reality is God is gracious. He wants you to know, and He wants you to come to faith. He wants you to, to, to believe in His Son Jesus to be saved. But the same is true for us as believers. We can allow sin to get in the way. And if we have sin in the way, we are not, as we'll see later on, going to be able to receive the word and thus grow in our relationship with Christ. So then, as we go through this passage, if you realize you haven't grown, ask God to reveal the area of sin that it is and confess it. You probably already know, we know already, but confess it, be forgiven, move forward clean and grow and excel still more. So back to our passage. Notice he says here, Finally then, brethren, he's speaking to believers, believers who know Jesus Christ, these Thessalonians, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Paul and his companions, Timothy and Silas, request. The word speaks of uh, requesting, and it's an interesting word. It's, it shows Paul's humility. Requesting of an equal. He's coming as an equal. We request of you. We request of you. And then he strengthens that request. He says, and we exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Exhort, parakaleo, means to call to one side. Speak, speaks of bringing someone to your side to say something to them very closely. And it could mean to encourage them, but it also could mean to say, hey, you need to do this. It's translated exhort here, and I think that's a correct, a correct uh, translation here. And notice he says, we request and exhort you, what? In the Lord. What is to follow is not simply Paul's desire as a fellow believer. It is a strong exhortation in the Lord Jesus by his authority. And we're going to see later on that they know what commands they have received. There, is, there are commands. It's a strong request and exhortation in a humble way from the Apostle Paul and his companions. 
So this is a very serious matter. It is in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul asking them to do? Verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do, that you may excel still more. Literally, as we just saw a few minutes ago, that you may abound or excel to a greater degree, but yet in what? In walking and pleasing God. Excel even more, superabound even more, in your walk with Christ. Keep growing, keep maturing, keep, be determined to keep growing. The term walk is a pretty simple term. It speaks of our, our, our course of life, our day-to-day actions. What you do on a daily basis, that's your walk. And then the internal motivation, notice this, is of the walk is pleasing God. When's the last time you did something to please God? You deliberately desired him to be pleased in what you did. You know, for us as believers, that can escape us pretty easily, can it? We cannot think about him in the way we should. If you're thinking about pleasing him, you're thinking relationally, right? You have a relationship with the living God. You have a relationship in which he interacts with us and speaks to us through his word by his spirit, and we are able to pray by his spirit, pleasing God, pleasing God. There's a relationship there. And these believers had that relationship, and they were abounding in it, but they were to abound even more. Even more. Remember the Apostle Paul's motivation back in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, So we speak not as pleasing man, but God who examines our hearts. He was aware of God in his life. He had a relationship with the living God. And the things he did, he did out of a motivation to please God. And when we fail, guess what? When we confess, that's out of a motivation to please too. Because he says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And praise the Lord, we walk in the context of grace. We live in the context of grace. We function in the context of God's favor towards us. Yet how do we please him specifically? How do we please the Lord Specifically, if I want to please him, I want to please you, Lord, in how I treat my wife. I want to please you in how I share your word. I want to please you in how I do my work. I want to please you in my thinking, Lord God. How do I do that? How do we please God? Remember Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, Genesis 5, verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I love that. Very simple. Matter of fact. I think he's a picture of what God will do with the church when the church pleases him and takes the church out of the way. When we walk with him, I think that's what's going to happen when he comes. But specifically, Enoch walked with God. But how did he walk with God? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he not, should not see death, And he was not found because God took him up. That's great. Why did he take him up? Middle of verse 5 of Hebrews 11. I'll read this for you. For he obtained a witness or a testimony that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Enoch walked with God and his walk was pleasing. Your walk can be not pleasing or it can be pleasing. And he obtained a testimony from God that his walk was pleasing. But how was it pleasing? Enoch walked by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up. And the very next verse in Hebrews 11, and without faith it is impossible to please him. If you don't personally trust Jesus to do what he says and say and in the context of what he's promised, you don't believe who he is, you can't please God. You believe what God says. You believe his truth, no matter what happens around you. We walk by believing the truth. If he says, surely I will help you, surely I uphold you with my righteous honor, we believe that and we step out in faith. If he says, I never will leave you nor forsake you personally, you know that and you believe that by faith. It pleases God when from your heart of hearts you accept the truth by faith and you walk in that truth. 
It pleases God. You see, because Jesus Christ is the one who pleases the Father. Matthew 17, verse 5, while Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, the the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So when we trust in Jesus and we abide in Christ and his word in us, we rest in Jesus, a real relationship, we are pleasing to God. When you are tempted, God says, he'll provide a way of escape that you may endure it. He's pleased when we trust him and let him guide us through that. He's pleased when by his spirit, by his power, we turn from evil. He's pleased when we confess our sin. When we initially, when we initially repented, the angels rejoiced in heaven. God is pleased when we trust and believe what he has said as it applies to a real relationship in our walk, everyday walk. He's pleased. We trust him. The reality is we began this walk by faith. You trusted in Jesus Christ. We started by faith. You cannot come to faith apart from, I've come to salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot come to salvation. You cannot be saved. You see, concerning salvation, your own works are not pleasing to God. It's an abomination, actually. Only the work that Christ has done is pleasing, and God is pleased when we trust in Christ and we are saved. It is his will, his desire for us to be saved. But if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. Romans 8, verse 6, or verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, however, to believers, Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So God is not pleased with our actions apart from Christ in us by his spirit functioning through us by faith. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. It's all by faith. It's all by faith. Colossians 2 verse 5. We came to faith in Jesus Christ. We walk by faith. If you want to please God, you've got to trust God. Not just a simple, I believe, the demons believe the word in general. They shudder, right? But I believe personally in the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe what he says and I, I rest in him and on what he has said. Colossians chapter 2 verse 5. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, Paul says, rejoicing to see your good discipline and what? The stability of your faith in Christ. You want to make your shepherd rejoice? Trust Jesus and be stable in your faith. Praise the Lord. And notice what he says. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in how they receive him by faith. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, we'll see this later on, and overflowing with gratitude. Tremendous reality. We walk by faith, and the way we please God is trusting him. Do you desire to please God? Do you want to please him? then you need his word rightly understood, the Spirit of God illumining that in your heart, to work in your heart to cause you to think differently towards him and towards your circumstances and people around you and all that happens. And you've got to trust him. Trust him. He's a good God. He's faithful. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. He is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. You can trust him, and we are to trust him. We ought to trust him. So then the Apostle Paul comes back and he shares this with them. Shares this with them. Look at uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 1, back in our passage. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God. And notice this statement just as you actually do walk. What a statement. You guys, you Thessalonians, you are following the Lord, just as you do. You received instruction on how you are to do so, how you're to please God. You get instruction. We'll see this later on through the Word of God. He says, just as 
you do walk. You are walking that way. You are. Remember, these Thessalonians were not doing badly. Paul isn't saying, hey, you're in a rut, you've got to get out of that rut and excel still more. They were doing well in the Lord. Remember he said that he was so thankful for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord, chapter 1. And he wants them to excel still more. And this is God's desire for us. It is not his desire for you to stagnate in your faith. It is not his desire for you simply to excel. It is his desire for you to excel still more. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Apostle Paul is speaking concerning his all-consuming desire. It's Christ, by the way. And being come like Christ. He says in chapter 3 of uh, Philippians, verse 12, and this is speaking of becoming mature, becoming complete, becoming perfect. Hey, getting there, getting to the goal. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which... Also, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Hey, I press on. He laid hold of me to, to make me his child, to make me like him, and I press on to be that way. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, and this is great advice for all of us, by the way, it's not advice, and it's, it's Paul's testimony. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Oh, praise the Lord for that. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the direction I'm going. This is what I press for, Paul says. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, or you could say mature, mature, mature in the faith, have this attitude. And if anyone, if you have a different attitude, God will reveal this to, that, that to you also. God's going to open your eyes. However, verse 16, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. Don't go backwards. Don't slip backwards. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing forward. Don't slip back. And in our passage, even more so, we are to excel, but excel still more. Keep growing in your relationship with Christ. We are not there yet. If you think you are mature and you are there, you are woefully mistaken. We are not there yet. Boy, I realize every day how sinful I am and how, how, how thoughts can come that are so wrong and how I can yield to things, those thoughts and, and speak things that aren't right. God needs to change me. And God is. We're growing. We're all growing. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So then, he says, excel still more. But how do we do this? How do we excel still more? He gives us the truth here, and we see this. We need to keep learning and acting upon his truth in the context of faith. Verse 1, back in First Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort in you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction, received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Did you see that phrase? That as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. This is amazing because the Apostle Paul was referring back to the first three weeks he was with these believers when they came to faith. He instructed them in the first three weeks of their faith how to walk and please God. Right when they first came to faith. It's amazing. And folks, for us as true believers, it is God's desire for us to walk and please God. But he does it through instruction he instructs us like a father instructing children we're instructed from the word how we ought to do it how we are to please god how i should please god at work how i should please god in my prayer life as i talk, communicate with him how i should please him in 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 interacting with the body of christ how i should please him with my family we have instructions from his word we have everything pertaining to life and godliness to the true knowledge of him this is key 
instruction as to how you ought to walk in ways. Just as we gave it to you, you're excelling, but excel even more. Just as we gave it to you. Folks, receiving instruction is key. Now, when I say receiving, I mean it in a certain way. I don't mean sitting in church and hearing a sermon. There are those who hear who don't do. There are those who hear and it does not affect them. I'm talking about receiving instruction. Receiving instruction. And to receive instruction, there are some prerequisites for us to receive instruction. James chapter 1 says very clearly, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. You've got to set aside sin. If you come in here and you are unwilling to set aside sin, attitudes, actions, whatever it is, you're not going to receive the word of God. And we are sinners. We sin so quickly and so easily. And we need to confess it and get right with the Lord and receive his word. What about 1 Peter chapter 2? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, Therefore, putting aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, all slander, that's sin, like newborn babes, that's by their new nature, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Set aside sin and receive instruction. Set aside sin and receive instruction. If you've got sin and you're not setting it aside, confessing it, you're not going to be able to receive instruction. You'll become a hypocrite, by the way. You'll get knowledge, but you won't have instruction received in the heart level. Set aside sin and receive instruction. Remember what we saw last week concerning the Colossians example, Colossians chapter 1. Turn there, actually. Colossians chapter 1. We saw this last week. I'm not going to repeat what we went through. You can listen to that, but it really speaks of this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, that's their genuine relationship with Christ, their faith and love, which is manifest, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. We haven't stopped praying that your heart would be overflowing with the true knowledge of His desires, that's His will, in the context of all spiritual wisdom, that's the Word of God, and understanding. The Spirit gives understanding. We haven't stopped to pray for that. That's what we need. It is when God gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding through his word, his desires and will are manifest for us and we are instructed on how to interact and act and walk and thus please God. It's through instruction. We need to be instructed. Just like a child. Think about it. How often do we instruct our children? All the time. We instruct them until they're mature. And even after that we instruct them. Right, boys? They know that, right? God gives us his wisdom through his word and he instructs us on how to walk. How I should treat you if you treat me wrongly. How I should treat you no matter how you treat me. How we should treat each other. How I should think of you. What I should think of the people around me. How I should think of the people at work. How I should walk in my life. All those things. I could give you a million examples. That's why it's so crucial that we are confessing sin continually, renewing our hearts with the Word of God so that He, by His Spirit, can speak to us on a daily basis and lead us and guide us in that which is pleasing. Oh, Lord, help me respond rightly. His Word comes to mind. Help me do the right thing. So Paul says, as you have received instruction from us, they received it, by the way, Remember back in 1 Thessalonians 2, turn back there a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 2.11-12 And then notice he praises God for their initial reception and thus their continued reception of the word. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, 
the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So then God uses his spirit-empowered word to instruct our hearts concerning his desires for us so that we will walk in a manner worthy and please him. So then we need to be in the word of God, right? We need to allow God's word to change. We need to, not, we need to confess sin. We need to keep learning, believing, and acting upon his word so that we would grow in respect to salvation. Do you want to stagnate, become a plateau Christian? Let sin get in the way. Let an attitude towards some other brother or whatever it might be get in the way. That'll do it. That's all it takes. Just confess it. But if you don't confess it, you will stop learning. You'll stop obeying in a sense that is that can, in the manner that can please him. You'll be tossed all over the place, never growing. You'll be the same that you were before, and God's disciplinary hand will be on you until you finally realize that you've got to confess that sin. Be determined to keep growing in your relationship with Christ. Excel still more. But yet notice, a pleasing life is not a suggestion, actually. We are obligated. Look at our passage again back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, if you're out in the parking lot, it's hot outside. Turn on your air conditioners. Don't, don't, don't burn up out there. It's hot. Let's praise the Lord you're able to come to church outside, but if it's hot in your car, turn on your air conditioner. Get it running. It's hot out there. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Notice he's going to explain something. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now he's going to start to talk about those commandments. And he's going to start with the commandments regarding to purity. And then he's going to talk about love. We're going to see that. That's the flow going through chapter 4. That's what he's going to do. He's going to remind them of those commandments so that they would excel still more. And we need that too. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. But if you look at verse 2, in the end of verse, excuse me, end of verse 1, notice how he says how you ought to walk, ought to walk. It's a word in Greek that expresses an absolute compulsion, how you must. We gave you instruction how you must walk and please God. It is a binding obligation. It is a necessity. God says, this is the way it's done. You want to know how to, how to interact at work? God says, here's how it's done. You want to know how to interact in situations with people? Here's how it is. You want to know how to raise your children? Here's how you ought to do it. It's all there. It's all there. You want to know where your heart should be when you're worried? Here's, it's all there. Do you want to know how good and gracious and faithful and your, your God is? It's all there. It's all there. How you ought to walk and please God. God's word alone reveals how we are obligated to walk and so please God. Now, we don't like that word obligation, but it's totally different because it's from a good God who everything he says for us is for our good. Is for our good. God's word is sufficient for your faith, everything you do. You either believe this or you don't. And your choices will reflect your beliefs. Actually, your choice of church reflects what you believe about Christ and his word. Your choice of what you read day in and day out reflects what you believe about Christ. Your choice of the radio that you listen to reflects what you believe about Christ. God's word alone gives us the instruction on how we ought to walk and please God. But yet notice the, the explanation, verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And the term know is in perfect tense. You have obtained this knowledge, and you still have it now. You know it. You know it. What commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He's not speaking of the Ten Commandments. This word translated commandment here actually speaks of a charge or orders that would come from a superior. You know the charge we gave you. This was in the first three weeks of their faith. But they're real believers, and they can hear it, and God will help them. You know the charge. You know the orders we gave you. You know what we gave you. Now, what were the commandments? He's going to start, first of all, here in regards to, to purity, and he's going to go to love. That's the order that he's going to go through. 
He's going to talk about purity. You know what we gave you. Look at our passage. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You know what we told you. We told you. Within the first three weeks of their faith in Christ, Paul instructed them with the authority of the Lord Jesus, these true believers who had come to faith, that they should abstain from sexual immorality. These were pagans. Three weeks prior, they were in their pagan lifestyle, which is mixed massively with sexual contact. The idolatry and their paganism like this and the sexual immorality was like this. And they came to faith... And within those first three weeks, Paul says, you know what we commanded you by the authority of the Lord. And here it's it's to abstain from sexual immorality. Later on, it's going to be loving one another. God indeed teaches us to love one another. These are pagans. Think about it this way. You share Christ to a gay man or a lesbian woman or a perverted person, and they come to faith. They believe the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sin. They are saved. They are washed. They are sanctified. They are forgiven. And they're on their way to heaven. And right away you explain the Lord's commands to them to abstain from the lifestyle they used to be involved in. Right away. And guess what? They learn how to be set apart for God rather than to perverted sexual immorality. They learn it. They want to. They've changed Now, this doesn't mean that if someone comes to faith, they're not going to be tempted by their lifestyle before. I'm not saying that. But they're going to have a desire to do the right thing. They've been changed. Paul's saying, you know what commands we gave you, specifically about that, which was big in their lives, by the way. And they accepted it. They had no problem with that. The reality is you'll certainly be tempted, but it's from a whole different paradigm. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm ashamed of that. I want to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. You know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. Paul taught them right away what they were to do. And I do hear at times, sanctification is a process. Now I'm saying this facetiously. It is a process, but it's say facetiously. We can't tell young believers certain to stop sinful habits. They're not going to get it yet. Not true. Not true. Right away, Paul said, you know what we told you not to do in the Lord. We instructed you that you would walk and please God. We did that. You know the commandments we gave you. First three weeks of faith. But we have to have a changed heart, a heart that is willing and desires to hear that instruction. Desires because it's changed. If you're not changed, you're not going to desire it. You're not going to be willing to hear it if it sins in the way. Turn to the book of Proverbs. I want to share some Proverbs concerning how we are to receive instruction, the mindset where we're at. You see, you're never going to sell still more if you don't have a heart to receive his instruction, if you don't value it, his instruction on how you need to walk. Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm going to run through these Proverbs here, but uh, notice the terms instruction and receive and, and, and the idea of valuing his word and his, his wisdom. Notice that. Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, get that word instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. That's what we're talking about, selling still more, increasing in understanding, learning. He says there, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb, a figure, and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Those who don't know Christ despise it. Now, despise sounds like something that you really like hate somebody or something. Despise simply means fools just set it aside. They set it aside. Their choices of their life is to set aside instruction. It's just set it aside. He says here, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Comes an instruction and teaching. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Proverbs. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may, what? Gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon 
my instruction. Don't let it go. When I was a son to my father, tender in the, in the only tender and the only son on the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, "Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live." Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, for she will guard you. Love her, love instruction, love the truth. It's God's word to you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, notice the walk, your steps will not be impeded. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction and do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Take hold of biblical instruction in your heart so that you will walk in a way that pleases God. A few other Proverbs. Proverbs 8, verse 10. Proverbs 8, verse 10. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than the choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Proverbs 10:17 He who is on the path of life heeds instruction. If you're a believer, you're selling still more, you're on the path of life, you're getting instructed all the time and you're changing and you're changing. But he who forsakes reproof goes astray. Proverbs 23:23 23, 23, I'll read this for you. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Get it. Paul says, you know the instruction we gave you on how to do that, how we commanded you. And one last proverb. Look to uh, Proverbs 8.33. Turn to that one. Heed instruction. That means respond and be wise. Do not neglect it. Don't set it aside. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Heed instruction. Desire it. Desire to be instructed from God through his word. But notice what he says here. But he who sins against me injures himself. And all those who hate me love death. There's two paths. If you're on the path of life, you're going to heed instruction. These Thessalonians were. And it was instruction that cut right to the core of the life before they came to Christ. Abstain from sexual immorality. And then later on, love one another. So back to our passage. Do we get the point? Seek God's wisdom and instruction from the Lord through the word concerning how we are to walk and please him. So are you stagnating? Are you growing? Is your growth being held back? Who are you living for? What's your lifestyle? Today it can change. Just confess, Lord, I have not valued your instruction the way I should, and I have been wrong. Give me a desire to to seek your word and your will and your ways in my heart for my life. Be determined to grow closer to the Lord, to excel even more. Make this the day you choose. Choose this to be the day to do it. This is the day I'm going to confess. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wholeheartedly. I, I, I give in. And when I fail, I'm going to confess and turn right back to you. So how can we live a life that excels, pleasing God? We need to be determined to keep growing in our relationship with God. And how we do that is through receiving his instruction on how we are to walk and please him. And we have to have a receptive heart like the Thessalonians did, where we're willing to say, yes, 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 yes. Okay, you say this, yes, 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 yes. And then lastly, notice... So that we don't get sidetracked. We need to keep remembering what God's will actually is. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, he's going to start to explain those commands they had given him. The first one is in regards to sexual morality. We'll continue to look at that next week. He's going to move to love in that context. But in general, he says, first of all here, this is, your, this is God's will. This is the will of God. For it indicates he's explaining what he has just said. 
He's expanding on instruction on how to walk and please God that they had received the commandments they gave in the past to you for this is the will of God. Yet what's the will of God? The term will here, thelema, speaks of a desire that comes from one's heart or emotions. It's what one desires or has determined should be done. This is God's desire. It's his desire. God's will speaks of what he has desired and determined for us. That's what he desires. And I don't think it's hard to understand the concept of our will because we have wills and desires. We understand what that means. As humans, we operate either upon our will or God's will. And, the, and, and what we want to have happen is his will become our will. Yes, yes. Not, and I hope you know what I meant there. Not that, Right? <laughs> So with that in mind, what's God's will? We see it in Scripture. It's his will, by and large, to be separated from sin. I went through this last week, but Ephesians chapter 5 talks about Noah's certainty. Verse 5, that no immoral, impure person, covetous man will inherit the kingdom of God. And talks about then being careful how you walk. Careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as, as wise, making the most of your time. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is you to be set apart from sin unto God. The will of the Lord, as we'll say. It's God's will. We are not to be foolish, but we are to understand. We saw this last week in First Peter. We're no longer to live for the will of men, but for the will of God. And he goes on to explain, First Peter 4, that the way we used to live was just carrying out our own immoral and wicked desires. And when you turn from that, people will mock you. They'll, they'll, they'll wonder why you're not running with them anymore that way. The reality is more often than not, Scripture reveals the Word of God is a character issue, being conformed to the image of Christ. It is our behavior that comes from a changed mind. Romans chapter 12 speaks about, be, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what the will of God is. When his instruction is changing your mindset and his spirit is working, you're believing him by faith, then you're going to then prove and demonstrate what his will is in our actions. Now, where's his will found? His will is found in the word of God. I want to share two passages and we'll move forward from this. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. And this is where Jesus' family is coming to see him and they're they're. Basically, their motive is to kind of pull him away because they think he's gone crazy, basically, to be honest with you. They, they, they were not thinking and seeing things rightly. And the Lord Jesus shares this truth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. Actually, verse 47. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven. Then turn to Luke chapter 8, because we have this stated again in a different way. So whoever does his will, right? Then look at Luke chapter 8, verse 20. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear what? The word of God and do it. The word of God is God's will. The word of God is God's will. True believers obey God's word by and large and not their own desires. What did Jesus say to those who said, didn't we do all this stuff in your name, Jesus? Didn't we do all this in your name, Jesus? He said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. So then back to our passage. He says, for this is the will of God. And he says, your sanctification. Well, as we close, what is he talking about? What is sanctification? It's pretty clear in the context it's speaking of abstaining from sexual immorality. That's the, that uh, immorality. That's the context. Obviously, staying away from sin. 
The word hagiosmos simply means to be separated. It means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. In some versions, it's translated holiness. Sanctification is the process of being set apart from sin unto God in a real relationship with him, not a phony, baloney, hypocritical uh, thing. Now, sanctification, we see, first of all, there's our initial sanctification when we believed in Jesus Christ. We were set apart from sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Hebrews chapter 10. 1 Peter 1, we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. When you believed, you were set apart. But then, at that point, God begins to work on you. He begins to sanctify us. And he's going to talk about that sanctification specifically regarding sexual immorality. He's going to explain that. Notice back in our passage. And we'll look at this in depth next week, so I just want to read through it. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he explains. He's going to explain what that means. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of purity, but in sanctification. God's will is for us to be separated from sin and made into the image of Christ to be like him. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 19. We saw that as we went through our Wednesday study. Just as we presented our members to slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so present your members as slaves of righteousness, resulting in being set apart. Sanctification. In Ephesians chapter 5, speaking of uh, the husband and the wife and Christ and the church, talks about Christ sanctifying with the water of the word. See that? And husbands to do the same. The Lord Jesus said, Sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. John 17. Verse 17. God's word to a responsive, receptive heart when instructed brings about sanctification when we respond. When we respond to his word and don't sin, rather trust him and please him instead, we are set apart in a different way. It's God who does it. First Thessalonians chapter 5.23 May God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you entirely. God does it. As we trust in Jesus as we trust in Jesus. Let me share one last passage about sanctification. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, beloved brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Folks, God's will for you and I is to be set apart from sin. And the Apostle Paul has been sharing here that they should excel still more. You know how we commanded you initially in regards to your sanctification to be set apart. You know how we did that. We instructed you And now, as you have received instruction as how you should walk and please God, excel still more. So then, how are you doing in your walk and pleasing God? Do you desire to please God in your marriages, in your relationships, in your family? Do you desire to please God um, at your work, at church, whatever it might be? Are you excelling in that? I'm not saying we are not failing. We fail. We do fail. Yet God's faithful. He forgives us when we confess. But are you growing in that? Are you changing? Is God working in your heart? The Thessalonians, they were commanded to excel still, exhorted to excel still more. Well, maybe some of you are stagnating. 
You're not growing at all. Your growth has been held back. It's the same it's ever been. Maybe you never came to faith. If you are not growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, if you're not growing your relationship, something is wrong. Like a baby that's not growing, something's wrong. And that something that is wrong is sin. Either you haven't confessed sin and having repented and trusted in Christ, or there's some sin that is in the way that God wants to weed out that you can confess and be forgiven and then grow. You see, we need to be receiving instruction. That's the key, a right heart attitude. That we would grow in our faith with Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Be determined to keep growing in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that we would not forget that we would be those who receive instruction, that we would love instruction. We would be those who are on the path of life. And I pray that anyone here who is doesn't know you, who is truly not on the path of life, I pray that you would convict them of their sin, that they would see themselves rightly, that they would confess and be saved, Lord God. They would trust in your son Jesus for salvation. And I pray for anyone here who's been a Christian for more than three weeks, Lord, that we would examine our lives. Are we excelling? Are we overflowing in our walk and desiring to please you. And Lord, that we would desire to do it even more and that we would obey this exhortation to excel still more. I pray we wouldn't just grow, we would grow even more, become more and more like your son Jesus. I pray that his heart and his mindset would become ours, that his word would be integral in our hearts and minds as we interact day in and day out, until you take us home to glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.